Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Fun fact, I also like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 79, Shrek. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Um, I hope you're all keeping healthy and well, most importantly right now. Uh, this is episode 5 of Animation Season 2021 and, uh, and hopefully it's bringing you as much joy as it's bringing me because it really is bringing me a hell of a lot of joy to bring you these wonderful animated movies. Um, and as always, whether you're a returning listener or a brand new listener, you are very welcome here at Verbal Diorama. Um, animation season. So this is something that I've kind of done. It's kind of a thing now. Uh, I did it last January and February um, and, uh, and I'm doing it this January and February as well. And, uh, and the idea is really simple, really. It's showcasing all of these different animated movies. There's 10 of them in total. They are from different studios, from different countries. Uh, they have different animation styles. And yeah, it's really just to highlight and promote these wonderful movies. I feel like often uh, animated movies get a bit of a short shift because people don't see them as movies in their own right. They see them as being just for kids. Um, and I think it's very important to me that everyone knows that animation's not just for children, you know, and animation's not a genre. Like it's, it encompasses all these different genres that are given to us in the form of animation. And so it's something that I'm really passionate about. This episode follows Coco, The Secret of Nim, Your Name and Chicken Run. And I mean, Shrek as a movie, I'm pretty sure that most people in the world know about Shrek, whether it's from the films, the shorts, the musical, the games, the memes. I mean, Shrek is pretty iconic, really. Uh, and it's kind of safe to say that Shrek was kind of a bit of a game changer when it came to animation. Um, but before we go into Shrek, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for all of the love that I got for the episode on Your Name, uh, which was episode 77. Your Name 
it was one of those strange things that I kind of felt like, oh, not many people have seen your name. And then the episode got released and it was just amazingly popular. And I think that just kind of showcases just how wonderfully resonant your name is. And it's something that I want to do just generally on this podcast, really, but especially during animation season to to actually highlight films like your name that often don't get highlighted. I mentioned, actually, I think I mentioned it in the episode that I did last on Chicken Run. I don't remember what I said in the previous episode. That's awful, isn't it? Um, When it came to promoting your name, I asked for other podcasts, episodes on your name, and literally no one had an episode on your name. Um, I couldn't find a podcast that I knew of with an episode on your name. And so I basically put a little challenge out there to all of the podcasts that I know and basically said, look, do an episode on your name. And if you do that episode, I will promote that episode. So the challenge is out there. Do an episode on your name if you're a movie podcast and I will promote you. But anyway, <laughs> uh, just an FYI, your name is available on Netflix UK. And um, and if you like Shrek and you like that idea of true love and all of that, and your name has that in spades, obviously completely different to Shrek in pretty much every regard. But the romance element is very much there in your name, as is kind of the soulmate thing. Uh, but moving on to Shrek uh, and the deconstruction of the fairy tale. Princess, where are you? It's very spooky in here. I'm playing no games. Well, at least we know where the princess is. But where's the dragon? DreamWorks Pictures invites you to a land of fairy tales. Hey! Oh, no, 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 no. Dead girl off the table. Where are we supposed to put her? The bed's taken. What? Where an unlikely hero... Ah! You definitely need some Tic Tacs or something, because your breath stinks! ...rescues a fair princess... You didn't slay the dragon? It's on my to-do list. ...from a nasty villain... Eat me! ...with the help of his trusty companion... This is going to be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Ah! This summer... One name spells action. You're not exactly what I expected. One name spells adventure. How about here? Before this is over, I'm gonna need a whole lot of serious therapy. One name. Don't look down. Trick, I'm looking down. Spells romance. Uh, it's no way to behave in front of a princess. Uh, oh, wow. She's as nasty as you are. Come on! There's an arrow on your butt! Oh. And that name is... Shrek. Shrek? Thank you very much. I'm here till Thursday. Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, John Lithgow. You love this woman, don't you? Yes. You want to hold her? Yes. Please! Uh, yes! Then you got to, got to try a little peasant Wreck. Wow. Let's do that again. No, no. Once upon a time, in a faraway swamp, there lived an ogre named Shrek, whose precious solitude is suddenly shattered by an invasion of annoying fairy tale creatures banished from their kingdom by the evil Lord Farquaad. Determined to save his swamp, Shrek cuts a deal with Farquaad, who is desperate to become king, as he and a chatterbox donkey set out to rescue Princess Fiona from the tallest tower of a castle guarded by a fire-breathing dragon to become Farquaad's bride. 
After the rescue, which does not go the way Fiona imagined, she and Shrek begin to bond. But Fiona has a secret curse upon her, which can only be broken by true love's first kiss. So we'll go through the cast of this movie. And I mean, this movie is very hyper-focused on four main characters. And to be fair, it's so focused on those characters that no one else really gets a look in when it comes to the actual voice talent on display in this movie. Um, It's something that Shrek 2 rectifies uh, because Shrek 2, uh, which I do believe is a superior sequel, by the way, uh, Shrek 2 obviously opens up the world, takes us to Far, Far Away. We meet the king and queen of Far, Far Away. We meet Fairy Godmother. We meet Prince Charming. Um, We get to know all of these fairy tale creatures in a bit more detail. But for Shrek, I mean, there's really only four main cast members in Shrek. And they are Mike Myers as Shrek, Eddie Murphy as Donkey, Cameron Diaz as Princess Fiona, and John Lithgow as Lord Farquaad. So the movie was written by Ted Elliott, Terry Rossio, Joe Stillman, and Roger S.H. Shulman. It was based on Shrek by William Steig, and it was directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicky Jensen. And obviously, we've all grown up watching those classic Disney fairy tales, the Snow Whites, the Cinderella's, and had it drilled into us from an early age, the Disney versions of these stories. And when I say Disney versions, I mean not the original versions. You know, not the Grimm's fairy tales where the Little Mermaid turns into sea foam and dies at the end. Um, But the, the happy version where she gets her prince and she lives happily ever after. And this is really pinnacle for the creation of Shrek. Because without those genre tropes so ingrained in our culture and our very beings, Shrek wouldn't have felt so fresh when it subverted all those familiar fairy tale tropes when it came out in 2001. And one of the key people in the creation of Shrek was responsible for reinvigorating Disney during its renaissance. And that is Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, I mentioned him a little bit, actually a lot, in the previous episode because he was very hands-on with the team at Aardman on the production of Chicken Run. And Chicken Run was obviously the movie that DreamWorks put out before Shrek. And he was so hands-on, it was to the point of distraction and occasional fear when it came to Chicken Run. But obviously, if you want to learn more about that, then listen to the previous episode on Chicken Run. Um, But before Jeffrey Katzenberg co-founded DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, he produced some of Disney's biggest hits, like The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and The Lion King. In fact, it was him taking so much credit for the success of Renaissance Disney in the late 80s and early 90s that led to his downfall at Disney. Because, you see, Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to become Michael Eisner's second in command. Obviously, Michael Eisner was the head honcho at Disney at the time. And he wanted to replace Frank Wells, specifically Frank Wells. And then Frank Wells died in a helicopter crash and... Jeffrey Katzenberg assumed that he was a shoo-in for Frank Wells' job, but Michael Eisner refused to promote him. Basically, there was no love lost between Eisner and Katzenberg, which led to Katzenberg being forced to resign from Disney in October 1994, and he received an out-of-court settlement for $250 million. Of course, this isn't the first time someone who worked at Disney would leave to form their own animation studio. See also Don Bluth. I talked about him in episode 76, The Secret of Nim, and all the way back in episode one on Titan AE. It's worth noting at this point that when Katzenberg took responsibility for DreamWorks animation division, traditional animation was still kind of reigning supreme, sort of. Pixar, which Katzenberg had sealed the partnership deal between Pixar and Disney just before he left, they were working on the first full-length computer animated movie Toy Story, 
which I talked about in episode 50. And while no one really knew the lasting legacy that Toy Story would have on animation at the time, DreamWorks soldiered on with traditional animation, uh, albeit with CG elements such as The Sublime Prince of Egypt, in 1998, followed by the less successful The Road to El Dorado in 2000, along with the widely successful Chicken Run, as I mentioned last episode, still the highest grossing stop motion animated movie ever made, as well as Ants. Now, Ants is a kind of oft forgotten movie when it comes to DreamWorks slates. It's easy to forget, actually, that Ants predated Pixar's A Bug's Life by a month. And obviously, there's a lot of Hollywood movies that come out in a similar time period with very similar plots. And there was a long-running feud between DreamWorks and Pixar. But that's kind of another story entirely, because The Prince of Egypt was supposed to be released first. So DreamWorks had this big idea for The Prince of Egypt. I'm going to go into The Prince of Egypt in a little bit more detail later. Um, But due to Disney scheduling A Bug's Life the same weekend as The Prince of Egypt, DreamWorks then literally scurried to get Ants released before A Bug's Life to really get under the skin of Disney. Um, But, you know, I digress. I mean, there's a lot of history between DreamWorks and Disney and Pixar and the whole back and forth between Ants and A Bug's Life is probably something that could easily fill its own episode. But back to The Prince of Egypt, because at the time, The Prince of Egypt was seen as the main competition to Disney's traditionally animated movies. Um, It was a lavish production, um, one that I'm very interested in talking about at some point in the future. It's not coming this season, I'll be completely honest, but I am very keen to talk about it. So The Prince of Egypt had an all-star cast, it had beautiful songs, and it was a take on an existing, well-known biblical story, and it emulated Disney's biggest hits in practically every way. So The Prince of Egypt was A-grade material as far as DreamWorks were concerned. Um, And in a separate part of DreamWorks, work was beginning on a movie called Shrek. It was an adaptation of William Stig's book about a repugnant green monster who's kicked out of home, meets a donkey who takes him to a castle and meets a princess. Very loosely based on this book, I might add. It was Steven Spielberg who originally acquired the rights in 1991 and originally planned to make a traditionally animated film starring Bill Murray and Steve Martin as Shrek and Donkey respectively. Fast forward a few years and producer John H. Williams' children read the book and he brought it to DreamWorks uh, where Katzenberg then rebuys the rights because presumably they would have expired by this point and they put the movie into development in 1995 soon after the creation of DreamWorks. Jeffrey Katzenberg saw in Shrek the ultimate middle finger to Disney. It was a parody of the fairy tales and happy endings that Disney had made their cash cows for so many years. It would have fart jokes, adult humour, and just basically be a massive FU to Michael Eisner. And that was obviously if it was a hit, of course. It's said that Lord Farquaad, his name, his stature, his appearance, and his compensation for certain things is based on Michael Eisner. Um, but a bit more on that later. So back to Shrek. Uh, Shrek was a very troubled production. It went very back and forth. It's a, it's actually quite miraculous that not only that we got Shrek, but that it's actually a fun, cohesive, wildly successful movie. So Andrew Adamson was hired to direct in 1997, along with Kelly Asbury, who also worked on Toy Story. And they were going to jointly direct Shrek, Uh, But Kelly Asbury left to direct Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron instead. Asbury was replaced with Vicky Jensen. 
It's worth noting that Andrew Adamson really wanted to make Shrek a lot more adult orientated and would often disagree with Jeffrey Katzenberg as to the direction Shrek should go in. It's likely that some of the more adult jokes and references are down to Adamson and just draw the line between acceptable for children and accessible for adults. But this has always been Shrek's biggest appeal. And I mentioned the Prince of Egypt was DreamWorks A-grade material. Similarly to Disney with The Lion King and Pocahontas, because famously Pocahontas was the A-grade primary work going on at Disney and animators were actually relegated to work on The Lion King. And we all know how that turned out. And the same happened with The Prince of Egypt and Shrek. So anyone who was working on The Prince of Egypt and deemed to not be pulling their weight on this very prestigious, traditionally animated movie that was going to make loads and loads of money and be incredibly popular, you were shuffled off to animation detention, essentially, to work on Shrek. Um, it even got its own verb, to be Shreked, uh, and animators often called it the gulag. So when it was originally conceived by DreamWorks, they planned for it to be a motion-captured CG animation layered over miniature fairy tale settings. It was researched and developed uh, before being scrapped after disastrous test screenings in May 1997. It was Pacific Data Images, aka PDI, who helped produce ants that actually helped with the CG animation to get a brand new, completely CG animated Shrek into production in 1998. At the time, PDI worked on Ants and Shrek concurrently, using a lot of the technology created for Ants and, and using it and expanding its use for Shrek. Shrek's holy grail of realistic human characters with complex facial structures that could express emotion and dialogue was seen as groundbreaking at the time. Bear in mind, obviously, this movie is 20 years old this year. Uh, special tools called shapers were used to layer bone, muscle and fat underneath skin, hair and clothing to create a fluidity of motion not yet seen in CG animation. This was the same system used for facial movements in ants, but was expanded considerably. Because the ants in ants didn't wear clothing or have complex hair or anything like that, really, Additionally, the ants in ants were the same size as each other, but Shrek, Donkey, Fiona and Farquaad could not be more different in terms of height, size, width and scale. Um, add some other minor characters like Dragon, Pinocchio, the dwarves, the blind mice kind of into this pot and it becomes a smorgasbord of character size. It's very easy when you're dealing with characters that are all the same size and essentially have the same template as each other. But for Shrek... Everyone was different. Everyone had to be basically built from the ground up. Applying the shaper meant that clothing uh, could not only hug the figure built underneath, but also move like actual clothing. I think Fiona's dress is the perfect example of that. Her skirt flows and wrinkles like real fabric. I think it's fair to say that Shrek has age. I mean, compared to something like, say, Toy Story 4's, you know, super realistic rain uh, that's indistinguishable from actual rain. Uh, Shrek himself is supposed to look cartoonish, um, but Fiona is a human character. I mean, she still looks pretty great, actually. And when it came to her face, animators went to great lengths to make her complexion the translucent quality of real skin. They used a program called Shader to program the influence of light on the texture of the skin. Too much shine would make her look a bit like a plastic doll, but too little and she actually wouldn't look human enough. Um, finally, they actually employed a real Hollywood makeup artist to basically explain how to apply makeup 
onto a human person um, and then they use those techniques to apply them to Fiona to basically make her look a bit more human. Um, at one point they actually had to dial it back because Fiona was looking a bit too realistic, a bit too uncanny valley. And speaking about Fiona specifically, I mean her hair is braided and there's a good reason for that because it was a tactical choice when it came to, and I'm going to talk about fur a little bit in a bit, but when it came to hair, realistic free-flowing hair wasn't quite there uh, in CG animation at the time. It was incredibly complex to have hair. I mean, if you think of Brave and you think of Merida's hair in Brave um, and, and exactly what they had to do to get that hair looking like that in 2001 or actually before 2001 because it was obviously it was released in 2001 but it was made several years before then so the animation for hair just kind of wasn't there so having it braided uh so it could move as one it could be influenced by her head movements was the most practical thing that they could do at the time and i mentioned hair um and obviously shrek came out the same year as monsters inc and i'm going to talk about monsters inc a bit later as well monsters inc and the team at pixar they revolutionized fur for that movie they made Sully's long fur move realistically and they made individual strands. I mean, it was incredibly detailed work. Um, I think there's still a lot of people who are quite hurt that Shrek won an Oscar over Monsters, Inc., but I'm going to come back to that. Luckily for the team working on Shrek, Donkey's fur wasn't quite as technical, but still needed manipulation to lie flat and react to the environment. The same technology to animate Donkey's fur was used for Shrek's eyebrows as well as for the grass. Um, and I spent quite a lot of time looking at the grass in this movie because it still looks pretty impressive, actually. As I said, this movie is 20 years old and at times it doesn't feel like it is 20 years old. Then, you know, at other times it really does um, because I think the animation of Mud has come on leaps and bounds in 20 years. But yeah, that's that's just one thing that I kind of picked up and I was like, yeah, that doesn't look as good as everything else. But a lot of stuff in this movie looks really, really great still 20 years later obviously shrek was the first computer animated fairy tale it actually also comprises of 36 separate locations which at the time was more than any other computer animated feature uh, they researched hearst castle they went to dordogne in france as well as the town of stratford upon avon which is basically my neck of the woods here in the uk uh, they also visited swamps outside charleston south carolina and that was where art director douglas rogers got chased by an alligator. Uh, so it's like, don't go down to the swamps today. Uh, I think it's common knowledge, but I'm going to mention it anyway, that Mike Myers was not the original choice for Shrek, uh, and nor was Cameron Diaz, for that matter, for Princess Fiona. So Nicolas Cage was offered the role and he turned it down. Um, but originally cast as Shrek was SNL comedian Chris Farley. Um, his voice work can be found online. There is a scene that he did with Eddie Murphy. I will link to that scene in the show notes because it's fascinating how the character progressed with him and then without him. And Chris Farley was well known for his energetic comedy style he worked on Saturday Night Live for five years between 1990 and 1995 uh he was in several movies um and he'd completed uh, between 85 to 95 percent of the voice work on Shrek before dying of a drug overdose on the 18th of December 1997 and he was just 33 years old when he died so he really did die well before his time uh his work on Shrek was described by screenwriter Terry Rossio as extraordinary and he praised Farley's willingness to reveal himself 
to lay himself bare over and over again for the sake of this performance. Farley's Shrek was a bit dim-witted and sweet and it was basically Farley letting loose of any of his inhibitions and just becoming this character, becoming Shrek. By all accounts, Farley was Shrek. He was fallible, well-meaning, clumsy, but he just wanted to be loved. Um, you know, and you could take that as Shrek or Chris Farley. But then, obviously, Chris Farley died. Uh, they contemplated hiring a sound-alike, but they eventually decided to scrap all of Farley's work and hire a replacement. It turned out not just a replacement for the character of Shrek, because partnering Farley was to be Janine Garofalo, and she's obviously known for her sardonic wit and abrasive sarcasm. She's excellent in Mystery Men, by the way, as in as she is in a lot of things. So she was fired shortly after Farley's death and she was never told why. But clearly DreamWorks wanted the new version of Shrek to go in a bit of a different direction. Um, and that's where Mike Myers comes in. So he's another SNL veteran. Uh, and obviously he was quite a big name in Hollywood at the time, thanks to Wayne's World. And obviously he was Austin Powers. So he was cast as Shrek and he insisted on a complete script rewrite. Um, and that was mainly because he wanted to completely disassociate his version of Shrek to Chris Farley's version of Shrek because he considered Chris Farley a friend um, and he just didn't want to be seen as taking this iconic role from Chris Farley. He did originally record the lines for Shrek in his native Canadian accent. He also tried a country accent as well, but instead he decided that he wanted to do a Scottish accent. And that was the same accent that his mother used to tell him bedtime stories. Um, so he'd already recorded all of these lines. And so when he decided, actually, I want to become Scottish, the change in accent actually led to $4 million worth of animation being scrapped. And it had to be completely reanimated in order to readjust the lip syncing to the new Scottish dialect. Eddie Murphy is also in this movie. He was no stranger to voicing animation. He had starred in Disney's Mulan as Mushu in 1998. And to me, there's, there's a lot of great vocal talent in this movie, but Eddie Murphy is the highlight of this movie for me. And I kind of argue that Mike Myers is probably the weakest link in the cast. And that's mainly because everyone else is literally firing on all cylinders. Eddie Murphy is fantastic. Cameron Diaz just feels so perfectly cast. And John Lithgow, um, despite Farquaad being a villain who's actually doesn't really do anything villainous, uh, is just just embodies this kind of evil bad guy character. Obviously, Cameron Diaz wasn't really a big box office name at the time because when she was recording her bits, there's something about Mary hadn't been released. Uh, she was also training for Charlie's Angels as well uh, while she was recording this movie. And Charlie's Angels is is a movie that I am. Uh, a big fan of. I think that movie is super fun and I love Cameron Diaz. And, and let's be honest, Cameron Diaz is one of the most beautiful women in the entire world. And then you have this incredibly beautiful woman voicing a, a princess. And, and essentially Shrek as a story is about not judging a book by its cover. Shrek is a mean character. He starts off quite mean. And, and then you kind of look into, well, why is Shrek mean? And it's like, well, he probably only is because he's spent his life being feared and threatened. Um, you know, the torches and the pitchforks, you know, they keep coming. So much so he actually puts up signs and tells people to stay away because he's like, I don't want to be bothered by these people. I am bored of being threatened. And the fact it's easier to hide away than it is to face the world, especially when you aren't kind of a conventionally attractive person. And I'm kind of saying that because our world is obsessed with external beauty. 
Shrek as a movie kind of took that and its poop and fart jokes. And I always, I'll always admit I'm a big fan of poop and fart jokes. Um, and it gave it those onion layers, so to speak, of, of being true to yourself and looking beyond the exterior, uh, while also successfully parodying those Disney classics. They basically tell us, well, if you're not beautiful, then you suck. <laughs> but it is kind of like that, because there aren't the only people in Disney movies who are ugly are the bad guys. Uh, you, <laughs> It's true. Uh, it's only really modern Disney that that's not been the case. Uh, usually the attractive person would be the good guy and the evil person would be ugly. And this, this movie fires a lot of things in Disney's direction. And those gags, uh, they are including but not limited to the hints to Michael Eisner being Lord Farquaad. And that kind of meant that DreamWorks were putting a bit of a position because they were like, well, if we release this movie, there's a strong possibility that Disney will sue us. Um, so because they feared this potential lawsuit, they actually screened the movie for their lawyers and for Disney's lawyers. Um just so that they could actually get away with releasing it. Uh, so it passed muster on the Disneyland references, the pot shots at Disney back catalogue, and the Lord Farquaad stuff, including the name Lord Farquaad. Because I don't think I need to spell it out, and obviously this podcast is a clean language podcast, but I don't think I need to spell out what Farquaad is. If <laughs> Do I... If you don't know what Farquaad is, then let me know and I'll explain it to you. But I can't explain it to you right now because I'm a clean language podcast. But I can say Farquaad because it's a character in a movie. So <laughs> there's so much about this movie that doesn't make sense. But the thing that doesn't make sense the most is why is Robin Hood French? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but, you know, they sing a fun song. I still don't know why he's French, but it's not the best song sung by Robin Hood or his Merry Men, because that goes to literally anything from Robin Hood Men in Tights, which, by the way, Robin Hood speaks in an English accent. I wonder, actually, I'm just thinking out loud. In the movie, they reference the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves arrow. So the camera is basically on the arrow and it kind of shoots towards the tree. I wonder whether they thought to themselves, well, we've had an American Robin Hood. There's been a British Robin Hood. <laughs> so let's have a French Robin Hood. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Robin Hood is French <laughs> for no apparent reason. Uh, other than, unless it's the reason I've just thought up. So let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. So Verbal Diorama is the home of the obligatory Keanu reference. And this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with the one, the only Mr. Keanu Reeves. And, um... I mean, it's never particularly easy when it comes to animation. Um, but I'm going to put this down to the Duke Kaboomiverse. And <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing. This is the thing that I'm making up. And that is that if Keanu voices Duke Boom in Toy Story and Shrek parodies Disney, then Shrek parodying Disney is aware of Pixar. And because they're aware of Pixar, they know of Toy Story. And so... If they know of Toy Story, then they know of Duke Kaboom. And so therefore, Duke Kaboom also exists in Shrek. And yes, I am planning to trademark Duke Kaboomiverse as a thing, uh, because I just made it up. So the music for this movie, this is a really interesting thing, actually. So the last episode was on Chicken Run, and there's a lot of links between Chicken Run and Shrek, like I've said. 
Uh, and similarly, for Chicken Run, this score was composed by Harry Gregson Williams and John Powell. They also wrote the score for Ants, and I've, I've referenced Ants a lot in this episode as well. But Shrek is known for its use of music, uh, specifically one song in particular. You may remember it from Mystery Men. And obviously, like I said, Janine Garofalo, Mystery Men. I've done an episode on that. It's episode 23. But All Star by Smash Mouth is synonymous now with Shrek. Uh, and originally the track was a placeholder. So they basically just put the track in until they found a song that they wanted to use for the opening for Shrek instead. But test audiences loved it. And so it was kept. And so now, whenever everyone hears, somebody once told me, it, it's the Shrek song. That's it. Uh, <laughs> so the song at the end is obviously Smash Mouth's version of I'm a Believer. And apparently that was literally only used for the one line, I thought love was only true in fairy tales. I actually quite like the fact that Eddie Murphy sings I'm a Believer at the end of this movie. So Shrek... Uh, when it was released, it was screened at the Cannes Film Festival in 2001. It was the first animated movie since Disney's Peter Pan in 1953 to screen at Cannes, uh, where it competed for the Palme d'Or. It was released on the 16th of May 2001 in the US. It was also the first DreamWorks film that was shown digitally in selected cinemas. Us in the UK, we had to wait until 29th of June 2001. And now Shrek had a very modest budget. It was originally made for $60 million and it ended up making $484.4 million worldwide. And it hit number one in the box office charts. A fellow verbal diorama episode, A Knight's Tale, was released a few weeks prior and that was sitting at number three. And any excuse to talk about that movie and specifically Heath Ledger. I mentioned on the last episode on Chicken Run about how Chicken Run set about the creation of a Best Animated Feature Academy Award. Well, I mean, no prizes, but Shrek won that award at the 74th Academy Awards, beating Monsters, Inc. and Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. It was also the first animated film to be nominated for a Best Adapted Screenplay Academy Award as well. It was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. And it was also nominated for six BAFTAs, including Best Film. Uh, Eddie Murphy actually became the first actor to receive a BAFTA nomination for a voiceover performance and it ended up winning one BAFTA for Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, and I mentioned a bit of beef with Monsters, Inc. Uh, because, you know, many fans think Monsters, Inc. was the better movie and more deserving of the awards. Shrek didn't actually help matters by being released on home video the same day that Monsters, Inc. was released in cinemas in the US, which Disney executives took as a bit of a slight. It didn't hurt Monsters, Inc., though, nor did it hurt Shrek's DVD sales, which reportedly made over $100 million alone. Uh, Shrek is also the only non-Disney entry on AFI's top 10 animated movies of all time, to which I kind of say, well, really, though? <laughs> I mean, OK. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's not a slight on Shrek, but really, there are some other really fantastic movies that are animated in the world that aren't Disney, that I would say deserve to be on that list a bit more than Shrek. But anyway, let's quickly talk about sequels because you have the superior sequel, Shrek 2. I genuinely believe that Shrek 2 is better than Shrek. And the only reason I'm covering Shrek and not Shrek 2 is basically because I kind of feel like, well, Shrek is deserving of an episode in its own right, but expect us to, to hear an episode on Shrek 2 
at some point in the future because I love Shrek too. Obviously, you also had Shrek the Third and Shrek Forever After, which are both not as good as Shrek or Shrek 2. And it's kind of funny, really, that Shrek kind of made its name on parodying Disney and obviously Disney's repetitive messages and Disney's inability to produce superior sequels. Because let's be honest, a lot of the Disney stuff was a direct-to-DVD sequels. I mean, they really churned out the sequels, especially in the 90s and the early 2000s. And then Shrek makes a great sequel in Shrek 2 and then it just kind of keeps going. There were also shorts. There was one called Shrek the Halls. There was Scared Shrekless. There was also a Puss in Boots spin-off as well. Puss in Boots has also had uh, a TV show, I believe, as well. A fifth Shrek movie was originally set to come out in 2019. It obviously never did. It was then touted as a potential reboot with all of the primary cast reprising their roles. But this has also since stalled. There was a musical as well called Shrek the Musical, which was very unoriginal. That opened on Broadway in 2008 and closed in 2010. It opened in the West End in 2011, closing in 2013. It's also had tours across the US and the UK, and it most recently toured in Australia in 2020. One of the loveliest things that I found out about Shrek um, is there is a shot-for-shot remake. It was created by 200 independent filmmakers and fans. It exists on the internet. It's one of the great things about the internet. There's a lot of bad things about the internet, but it's available on YouTube. And it's just a genuine delight. It's called Shrek Retold. It's basically different animators, each doing a scene in their own style. So there'll be a traditionally animated scene, there'll be a live action scene, there'll be a stop motion scene, there'll be a CGI scene. And it's all of these independent animators and fans that are are doing it. I will put a link to it in the show notes because I think it's genuinely wonderful. It was the brainchild of a guy called Grant Dufferin uh, and 3GI, a comic collective based in Milwaukee. Uh, which hosts an annual event called Shrekfest. And obviously the most famous thing probably about Shrek is Shrek also had the honour of becoming a very famous meme, which is called Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life. There was also many computer games to do with Shrek as well. And a lot of the computer games actually fed these memes. There were a lot of bugs in these games uh, which are reflected in the memes as well. Shrek really is quite a fascinating topic to talk about just because it seems to have created such a rich and vast legacy but then it's kind of also shot itself in the bum a little bit with an arrow perhaps because I kind of feel like if they'd stopped with two movies it really would be pretty perfect but they, they haven't been able to kind of repeat this magic, this kind of fairy tale magic over and over again, because obviously, you know, things become stale. And Shrek, unfortunately, seems to be one of those things that I think a lot of people do remember quite fondly, because you grew up watching movies like Shrek and loving the poop jokes and the fart jokes. And there's a lot of poop and fart jokes in this movie, and they are brilliant. But it's not aged particularly well. The animation, I think, holds up incredibly well, actually. I think it's become a bit tired. It doesn't feel fresh anymore. And I think doing a reboot of Shrek, I just think it would just be a bit of a massive mistake, to be honest. Uh, But anyway, enough of what I think. What do patrons think? 
because as part of social media thoughts, I now go to the patrons and I ask them first and I say, what do you patrons who support this podcast think of this movie? And I've actually got two patron thoughts and they're actually two guys that are from the same podcast. Um, so, But I'm going to treat their comments as individuals. So we're going to start with Andy from Geek Salad, who also guest starred on the episode that I did on Mystery Men, which I've referenced a couple of times. Um, so Andy says, Where do I begin with Trek? At the time of its release, it felt like a breath of fresh air, something to take the pee out of Disney a bit. But looking back on it after 20 years, the animation is very stilted and rough. The humour hasn't held up as well as something like The Emperor's New Groove, an animated masterpiece, and I will never forgive them for Smash Mouth or Star. Never. And Mike, who is also from Geek Salad, he said, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did when I first watched it. The whole Muffin Man bit had me laughing quite a bit. A shame the multitude of sequels felt like such massive letdowns compared to this one. John Lithgow was the absolute standout. And a massive thank you to Andy and Mike for their comments. As I said, Andy and Mike are two of the hosts of the outstanding 12-year-long running Geek Salad podcast. That is the home for all of your audible movie, music, TV, gaming and pretty much anything else particularly geeky. Um, And may I add that Geek Salad may be large in stature, but they compensate for nothing. That's all Geek Salad, baby. Uh, I will stick a link in the show notes for Geek Salad and make sure you listen to them. Also joining podcast comments is Derek from The Midnight Myth, who says, Charming performances in this Disney satire slash comedy that delights adults and children alike. Yeah, I'd say this movie is a lot like onions. It has layers. The movie is not like cake. It's like onions. Derek, along with his lovely wife Laurel, are the hosts of The Midnight Myth, the go-to podcast for all your historical, philosophical and mythological pop culture requirements. And most remarkably, they had a baby at the start of the year, baby Arthur, and they're still podcasting and still smashing it. So uh, make sure you listen to The Midnight Myth. I'll pop some links in the show notes. And finally, for patron comments, we have Griff from The Paul and Griff Show, who says... Shrek was a game changer in regards to animation, an animation masterpiece that wasn't Disney, unheard of for its time, appeals to kids and even has cheeky adult jokes hidden in there too. The voice casting was perfect for all of the characters, just a great film. And as I said, uh, Griff, along with Paul, hosts the Paul and Griff show. Uh, Their podcast is jam-packed full of facts, trivia, wit and humour. Make sure you give them a listen. As always, links in the show notes. And a massive thank you to all the patrons who've provided comments for Shrek. Moving over to Twitter, we have at Waffles the Magic who said, Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. I ate the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. An all-star cast, an all-star film, Shrek gets all the stars. At Best Film Ever Pod said, Before it turned into the very films they were parodying, the original two Shrek films were masterpieces of postmodernism and allowed animation to be used as a storytelling medium for all ages in the North American market once more. Wonderfully irreverent and packed with jokes, Shrek raised the bar on the storytelling possibilities for animation in US culture and reintroduced an adult audience to the medium in cinemas. Arguably a career best from Mike Myers, a renaissance for Eddie Murphy and Cameron Diaz didn't suck. Shrek truly is an all-star. At Trevor Carley said, 
I absolutely love Shrek. I've seen it more than 100 times because my kids were obsessed as toddlers. Not sure if it's Stockholm Syndrome or if I legitimately love it, but either way, I constantly ask if we can watch it to an emphatic no from my family. It's my comfort movie. At years underscore beers said, We're discussing this film later this year, been wondering its legacy and seeing some pretty high praise here. Would say it was a game changer for sure, then the sequels did a good job of making people forget how good this was. Best animated feature over Monsters, Inc. though? Nope. At Shaw underscore Grand said, A genuinely funny movie that I think had a lot to say about toxic masculinity, friendship and loving oneself, and has been almost ruined by memes. Hashtag redeem Shrek. And at Big Bad Wolfie 5 simply says, I agree. And Big Bad Wolfie 5 has a picture of the Big Bad Wolf from Shrek as their logo. So this is the Big Bad Wolf from Shrek. So clearly they would agree. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Breaking the Fourth Podcast who said, The soundtrack to this film is amazing and the voice cast is incredible. Even the musical they made of Shrek is great. And the story is something we can all relate to. 10 out of 10. Nothing over on Facebook this time around, but a massive thank you to everyone for your comments and thoughts on Shrek. Shrek really did change the landscape for modern animation. Your animated movie could appeal to both adults and children at the same time. Uh, you know, amazing. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm being facetious. It could reference and parody other movies. It could become synonymous with pop songs. It could spawn multiple similar attempts at watered-down pop culture humour. And it could, fo- it could poke fun at the biggest studio in the world and get away with it. We, like Fiona, have been told from an early age how life is supposed to be. You're supposed to be beautiful. You're supposed to be a handsome prince or a knight in shining armour who rescues you from your humdrum life. You're supposed to believe in love at first sight. Disney isn't exclusive in selling us these stories, but they sure have played a part. (laughs) And uh, there haven't been any Disney movies in animation season, but Disney movies are coming. And that's all I'm going to say. I talk a lot on this podcast about representation and about representation in all forms is important. But when I say that, I don't just mean skin colours or, or cultures that we see depicted on screen or LGBTQ representation and relationships, although that is all very important that we see that and that our children see that, but also representation of what's deemed normal. And I use that in the biggest inverted commas that I can find. And that's because, you know, the princesses are supposed to be beautiful. If you're ugly in any way, then surely you aren't a princess. But the problem with these ideals is that, let's be honest, none of these supposed expectations come true in real life, or or it's very rare that they come true. And it gives us this heightened expectation of life that we are entitled to those things. And we're not entitled to those things. It's great if we have them. It's great if you do meet a handsome prince or a beautiful princess. And, and you get whisked away and you live a happily ever after. That's great. But we are not entitled to it. And what Shrek tells us is it's okay to want those things. It's okay to have dreams and fantasies. But just because your life doesn't play out like a fairy tale, it doesn't mean your reality is less worthy or less valid or less meaningful than happily ever after princess story. Because at the end of it, Fiona and Shrek both end up happy both as ogres living in a swamp. That is their version of a happy ever after. And it's really lovely that this movie ends with that, 
to show us that your version of being happy, however that is, whether that's with someone, without someone, is okay. And I thought love was only true in fairy tales. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Shrek. And obviously, if you do like this episode, please take a moment to rate and review. That would be wonderful. Or if you already have rated and reviewed on something like Apple Podcasts, if you could tell someone about this podcast and spread the word, that would also be similarly wonderful. If you liked this episode on Shrek, you might also like episode 17, The Iron Giant, because I genuinely am going to be recommending The Iron Giant every single time. I'm also going to recommend episode 31, The Lego Movie. And that's because The Lego Movie also does a really good job at subverting tropes. Um, And it's very, very funny. Uh, I've mentioned it a couple of times on this episode, episode 50, Toy Story, because that really is the start of everything to do with CG animation. Without that, we wouldn't have got Shrek. Uh, or we, we wouldn't have got Shrek in its current form. Um, and episode 76, uh, I mentioned Don Bluth uh, in this episode. And The Secret of Nim is a really great example of what happens when you leave Disney and you start up your own studio. Uh, so obviously, Jeffrey Katzenberg created DreamWorks. Don Bluth created Don Bluth Productions and they created The Secret of Nim. The Secret of Nim is a beautiful movie um, and it's well worth your time. Obviously, as always, give me feedback on my recommendations. I do try and mix it up a little bit apart from The Iron Giant because I would always recommend that. Um, (laughs) uh, I do try and keep it fresh and varied, uh, but let me know if you thought I missed anything. And the next episode, I've recently done an anime movie because, like I said, a couple of episodes ago, I did Your Name. And I'm actually doing another. So we're going back to Japan. And this movie is officially one of the most influential anime movies of all time. It inspired movies like The Matrix, which I've done an episode on. It inspired Ex Machina um, and AI, Artificial Intelligence, as well as taking inspiration from the likes of Blade Runner, A Scanner Darkly, uh, which is a Keanu Reeves movie, by the way. There was a live action adaptation starring Scarlett Johansson, which was very critically panned uh, and accused of a lot of things like whitewashing. But I really wanted to go back to the start. um, And I wanted to talk specifically about 1995's Ghost in the Shell, because I think... It explores some really interesting themes. It's an absolutely stunning movie. And obviously, if you're a fan of anime, um, it's likely you've seen Ghost in the Shell because, like I say, it's incredibly influential and it is one of the most popular anime movies of all time. But I really wanted to talk about Ghost in the Shell. So the next episode, which is episode 80 of the podcast, is going to be on 1995's Ghost in the Shell. And I'm very excited to talk about it. If you want to find me on social media, I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. I am on Patreon at patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama and you can sign up to support the show if you wish. You're under no obligation to do so. But I'm very grateful to the wonderful patrons of this podcast who basically keep the podcast running, help pay for things like equipment and hosting. It just takes such a burden off me financially and I'm so grateful to the wonderful patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, 
Emily, Michael, Matt, Trevor and Scott and they are the fairy tale creatures that are always welcome in my swamp. And I don't mean that in a dirty way. <laughs> I have a merch store at teespring.com slash store slash verbal diorama where you can buy merch if you want. You can email me if you want, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also go over to verbaldiorama.com and fill out a little contact form. And you can pop over to filmstories.co.uk. You can check out the magazine. I have just had an 80s fantasy puppets feature published. I'm really excited about it. So you can read that in issue 22 of Film Stories. And you can also catch stuff that I do online. And finally, I wanted to finish with some French Robin Hood. Because why not? <laughs> and if anyone can tell me the reason why Robin Hood's French, that would be great. Please let me introduce myself. Oh, merry man! <laughs> ta -da, ta -da, ta -da, I steal from the rich and give to the needy. He takes away percentage. But I'm not greedy. I risk you pretty damsels. Man, I'm good. Take <laughs> it down. I like an honest fight and a saucy little maid. What he's basically saying is he likes to get paid. So! Oh, and an ogre in the bush from the lady by the tooth. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. When a beauty's with a beast, it makes me awfully mad. It's mad. It's really mad. Now I'll take my blade and ram it through your eyes. Keep your eyes on me, boys, because I'm about to stop. Man, that was annoying. French Robin Hood. Bye. Movie should know. Movie should know.